Welcome to Bollywood is for Lovers, part of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. I'm Aaron Fraser. And I'm Matt Bose. Uh, this week, for our fourth annual Hindi Horror Halloween episode, we checked out three movies about women getting possessed by malevolent forces. First up, 2005's Nena, where Irmala Matankar plays a blind woman in London who starts seeing visions of death after a corneal transplant. Then, in 2008's 1920, say that five times fast, Rajneesh Dugal and Ada Sharma must contend with a malevolent spirit that is very interested in a certain house, and they must solve a mystery dating back to the rebellious 19th century. Finally, we are courting controversy with 2017's The House Next Door, as Siddharth and Andrea Jeremiah find themselves increasingly worried about their new neighbors after a series of strange events in the neighborhood. Before we begin, we would like to respectfully acknowledge that we record this podcast on Treaty 6 territory, traditional lands of First Nations and Métis people. Matt, it is that time of year again? Yes, we got through the scariest part of the episode. <laughs> Where we watch Hindi horror films. Uh, every, it's all for you. <laughs> every October. That's, that's a, it's all for you, Damien. <laughs> that's a shout out to The Omen. Yes. Every all o- for you, Damien. <laughs> every October... Uh, for Halloween, we do a special episode where we look exclusively at horror films. So in our first episode, or first Hindi horror episode, we looked at s- films around supernatural creatures. Yeah, monsters. Yeah, monsters. So creatures, we- Mike, you might call them. <laughs> creatures 3D. <laughs> no, that was the second episode. Oh, shit. Yeah. Yeah. So we looked at Exi Diane and Go Go Agon and Boot. Oh, right. <laughs> We've yeah. never stopped discussing Boot. Yeah. Great song. <laughs> After that, we discussed Papasha Basu as a scream queen mm-hmm. and uh, looked at Creature and Alone. So that's when we watched Creature. One yeah. Of, I think the, one of our favorite Hindi horror films, one of my favorite Hindi horror films. I mean, it's it, it's immortalized for me by having a monster that just goes, Rawr! <laughs> yes. Yes. And also looks like yeah, like a tech demo. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then last year, we did an episode on the Ramsey Brothers, uh, which is a group of producers and filmmakers. And brothers. And brothers uh, who made kind of a lot of low-budget, schlocky horror movies. And we discussed three of their films, which got kind of increasingly better in quality, I will admit. They got more sophisticated, yeah. But that, that was a bit of a slog. The, yeah, a couple of them were. Virana was pretty good, though. Um, but yeah, they if you know anything about uh, the history of uh, movie censorship, especially in the UK, they're kind of like video nasties, but maybe more like a video unfriendlies. Yeah, because they're, they're certainly not um, graphic enough to, no. to receive the video nasty. But label. they did. They were probably the closest we've seen to 80s slasher. Yeah. Like... Tits and violence. Yeah, and they do have a remake of Nightmare on Elm Street, which at some point, I'm sure, if we keep doing these episodes, we'll watch. I think that's Mahakal. So this year, we're looking at Possession. Uh, Now, we did discuss a film about Possession uh, in our Papasha Basu episode, Alone. Uh, So I'll I'll try not to repeat myself about all of the uh, feelings and perspectives I have about the um, possession subgenre. Spoiler alert, I remember nothing about Alone. (laughs) I remember quite a bit about uh, Creature 3D, but Alone escapes me. Yeah. She's she's an identical twin. It's kind of like Sisters. 
Right, yeah. With like a possession angle. Something like that, yeah. yeah. Uh, but before we get to that, Matt, we have a couple new reviews. Oh, great. Uh, so we have two new reviews, one from India and one from the UK. Uh, so, and they, they they came on the same day. Wow. Yeah. Great minds think alike. Yes. So from the Indian iTunes store, Sruguru, I hope I'm approximating how you pronounce that, uh, gives us five stars oh, and says, thanks, I enjoy following the lively conversations on this podcast. The hosts do not always get everything right. Yep, that's for damn sure. <laughs> but they are so enthusiastic and make so much effort. Oh, and I love their cocktail names. Hey. Oh, wow. I haven't, we haven't discussed a cocktail on the show in a while, I don't think. We gotta, we gotta get some more going. Yeah, I didn't make one tonight, but, uh, but I, I do, I do have one. I recently made some chai infused rum for a mm. cocktail. Uh, so, so maybe we'll discuss that. Uh, on a future episode, it will certainly show up on my Instagram for anyone that's curious. Yeah, you heard it here, ladies and germs. We're uh, <laughs> doing uh, um, a cocktail night this weekend, so keep an eye on the Instagram. Uh, thank you so much for that review. Our second review comes from the UK, and it comes from... Xenia. Xenia, yes. Or slash cat green bike. Okay. Uh, and she writes, perfect for beginners. I have been wanting to get into Indian cinema for a while, but I found other podcasts to be a little impenetrable because of their assumed audience knowledge. (laughs) We assume that no one knows anything. (laughs) This is a perfect beginner's guide to Indian cinema for ignorant Westerners like me. Lovely hosts that cover the subject from many angles. Really great listen and so informative. Uh, Glad to be of uh, help, uh, Zinia. Loved you and Goldeneye. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we... We were also beginners once ourselves, and in many ways, we still are. And our our goals when we started this podcast was to introduce, um, you know, just people like ourselves who are curious about cinema to Bollywood and Indian cinema. So uh, that's that's great to hear. Thank you so so much. Uh, please leave us uh, more reviews if you're a fan of the show, and and we'll read those out. Yeah, even if they're mean, <laughs> we'll do it. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, but I mean, ideally. Ideally, ideally, they're not mean. Ideally, we'd like some some, some nice reviews. Yeah. Uh, they they are really really encouraging, and we really do appreciate uh, those kind words and, and you know the time and an effort it takes to, to hit those five stars and type mm-hmm. up a little review. So thank you so much. All right, are we ready to get into it? Yeah. What do you think about demonic possession? Pro or against? <laughs> um, I mean, against. Okay. Interesting. Th- yeah. Interesting tactic. I think, um, especially modern possession films, owe a lot to William Friedkin and The Exorcist. Yeah. Uh, for understandable reasons. He did uh, a great job. Yeah, that film is iconic. That film is truly terrifying. Uh, and it's it's a classic for, a modern classic for a reason. Um Matt, as you know, I'm a huge, huge William Friedkin fan. Me too. Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put The Exorcist probably in my top five Friedkin films, though. Interestingly enough, hmm. um, I'm, a, I'm a bigger fan of kind of the deep cuts, uh, like like one of our favorites, To Live and Die in L.A. Yeah. Um, but The Exorcist casts a very long shadow in I think the horror genre and certainly in the possession subgenre. I mean it's what made it um kind of uh marketable and 
um, you know, what we see today. Yeah, if you ever get around to reading Rick Perlstein's uh, Nixon Land and The Invisible Bridge, mm. one of the things he does in that book is talk about big movies that come out over the course of the yeah. presidencies. And he's got a huge part about The Exorcist, which was riding a wave of sort of interest in the occult, mm-hmm. which would arguably peak in the 80s with the satanic panic. Yeah. And and Friedkin really... In the West. Yeah. Yeah, that's we should say that. Uh, Friedkin really, really believes in um, that possession. It's uh, It's based on a true account, and it's adapted from... A novel, and he recently, actually, his most recent film is a documentary where he revisits the topic and uh, goes to the Vatican and and talks to their exorcist. Hmm. Uh, I wish I could say it's good. It's it's, it's kind of a it's movie. the devil and Father Amarth or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It it's a movie that left me rather disappointed. Hmm. <laughs> um, but you know he. He really, really believes it. And I think that's one of the reasons why that film uh, is so terrifying. Because it was made by people who, uh, who, were, who were scared of this themselves. But you kind of believe that possession films generally centering on young women are more exploitative than other sorts of horror movies. Like it's, it's an excuse to have a, a girl freak out, say, you know odd things run around on the ceiling do all kinds of weird crap and it's kind of based on like religious um underpinnings of uh female sexuality and stuff like that like yeah it's 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 a very patriarchal story in a lot of ways yeah so certainly not all possession films uh involve a young woman being possessed but many do Mm -hmm. and most of them seem to and i mean there are some there are some where men are possessed uh, but but many of them uh, are young women, and because so much of the horror is localized on their bodies, mm-hmm. um, and you know, kind of because of the way Friedkin chose to portray the exorcism in the Exorcist of kind of strapping a woman to a well, not a woman, a girl. She's a yeah, young girl. She's a young girl in that one. But strapping her to a bed. Um, and then that gets, it's an iconic image. It is an iconic image, but yeah. then that gets replicated, and so I think, uh, I think the possession genre. I wouldn't say it's misogynist, but I think it is sexist in a lot of ways. I mean, it can also uh, point to the real life fact that uh, women's health issues are often not taken seriously mm-hmm. by doctors. Something like endometriosis. If that was happening to men, we'd have figured out what it is by now. <laughs> Whereas if it's happening to women, like, oh, that's just lady problems. You know about those. Fair enough. It's it's just a demon inside of you. And and I will also say that the the horror genre in general, I think, is um, is probably the the one that most inherently uh, tackles issues and perspectives on gender. Mm-hmm. Uh, even more so than the romantic comedy. You know, that's why, like, so, I mean, so many horror movies have a young woman, um, now with Halloween, a 55-year-old plus woman, mm-hmm. the new Halloween, uh, at the center of their stories. She's the audience proxy. Uh, so, you know, that, that's something that I, I find fascinating about horror films, but they also have a history of... of objectifying women and and sexist portrayals and whatnot and and the possession genre is the one that i think 
has the most issues. But don't you think horror movies, often with a young female protagonist, do allow people like myself, who aren't a young female, to empathize more with a young woman in peril? And wonder, well, what would I do in that situation? Like, I'll never understand exactly, but, yes, but it, you do have to actually think outside your um, your prescribed role. Yes, but unlike the slasher genre where you have the final girl who uh, has to muster, you know, kind of who has to survive this litany of tests and then muster all of her strength to um, take on the the assailant. Uh, in this one, she is the the assailant and the final girl. But but what? I, well, she's she's not the hero of the story. The hero of these stories is is the exorcist. The hero of these stories is um, the man usually who comes from outside into the issue and who who saves the woman. Mm. So they're like so. You know, I'd say an, that these three kind of play with that, though. Yeah, these three do play with that, which I think is something that we're going to discuss, and I think. Mm, the best modern possession films do. And it also talks about the the role of religion yeah. as well. And by no so means interesting stuff here. Do I want, you know, my my comments here to reflect all possession films, all films about exorcism because it, they don't. Um that's one thing that I loved about The Conjuring mm-hmm. um is when it it got to the exorcism, it was done in a really unique way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, um, you know, they, they strap Lily Taylor to a chair and cover her in a blanket. So we're not we're not being invited to objectify her body at the at the site of horror. Yeah, there's no scene where she's uh, mimicking masturbating with a crucifix saying <laughs> uh, your your mother sucks cocks in hell. Yeah. Yeah, and again, but also I, that doesn't come up in any of these movies. <laughs> I love that movie. I really love that movie. Um, but you know, like its imitators didn't get it. Yeah. Know? So. Uh, and also, yeah. I would say for most of The Exorcist, at least the first half, anyway, it's more of a medical drama. Yeah. Which uh, Nana and um, the house next door replicate pretty well. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. yeah. So we want to get into it. Sure. Let's discuss Nana. Sure. So, uh, Nana was... Which is probably, of these three films, the least rooted in um, Friedkin's The Exorcist. Yeah, because it's rooted in a completely different movie, which we'll get <laughs> yes. to. But this was directed by Sripal Morica, and was released in 20 May 2005 to decent-ish reviews. Mm-hmm. Stars Irmala Matankar, uh, Anuj Sanhi, and Malavika. Uh, and it's a remake of a 2002 Hong Kong-Singaporean movie, The Eye, which is directed by the Pang Brothers. And there was a Hollywood remake of it as well with uh, Jessica Alba. Yeah. Which maybe went straight to video. I don't know. That around the early 2000s, there was the big J-horror thing too. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if that remake got kind of caught up in that. Because you got like The Grudge and yeah. all those. But this would be like Chinese some... horror instead of Japanese. Yeah. And there was some Korean horror at this that was also getting remade at the same time. Yeah, this movie apparently caused a little bit of controversy among eye doctors. Oh. Much in the same way that uh, Billu Barber did among uh, barbers. Oh. Because apparently corneal transplants weren't actually that popular um, in India. And it was, mm. it was, uh, this movie was pointed out as saying, like, kind of, this is uh, reaffirming old, uh, old problems with oh, okay. people not liking corneal transplants. Uh, but this movie did pretty decently in theaters and was considered a hit. So do you want to tell the audience here the plot of Nana? Sure. It's really, really simple. So it the is. Film... Probably too simple. <laughs> the film opens 
uh, and cuts back and forth between two scenes. One is a young girl in London in the backseat of her parents' car, mm-hmm. which is about eight. Uh, and the other one is a birth, a rather graphic birth happening on the other side of the world. That's one thing I'll India. say about this movie. <laughs> it is pretty gruesome. I would say uh, Pari is the only other film I've seen that's that level of like um, gruesome stuff happening. Mm-hmm. So as I was saying, uh, it's it's going back and forth between these these two scenes. In London, there is a car crash and glass flies into the young girl's eyes. And Nana's parents die. And yes, that is Nana and she loses her eyesight. Her parents die. In India, the baby is born, is stillborn, but then... She opens her eyes. Cosmic transference. I think there's definitely an eclipse in the house next door, and there's something similar going on in the skies in this one. Yes. Yeah. All three of these share like some sort of birth slash death slash, you know, transference. Yeah. So we fast forward a couple decades, and Nana's now a young woman. She's grown. Uh, she is blind, but she is receiving a corneal transplant. And she will kind of see for the first time since she was eight years old. And how long in the movie does it take for her to actually, for us as the audience, to actually appreciate the fact that she's blind? Like 30 seconds? Yeah. It's like introduction of why she's blind. And then like 30 seconds to maybe a minute of, oh, being blind is bad. And then she's immediately in the in the operating theater. Mm-hmm. Like that's one of the main problems with this movie. So you don't actually appreciate the somewhat more mundane horror of actually being blind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so her grandmother, who she lives with, takes her to the hospital. She gets the transplant, but the eyes aren't working necessarily the way she expected them to, and she starts seeing. Uh, you know, at first, kind of hazy visions, and then mm-hmm. as she starts to get used to her new eyes. Very vivid uh, images of ghosts or places where people are going to die. Like she the kind can, of death shrouds that follow people. Yeah, she so can. There's both a few see, different things that she sees. Yeah, she can still both see kind of ghosts, people who have died, as well as she can predict death. Yeah, it's uh, actually sort of unclear. The doctors at first tell her that you know she's just adjusting to her new eyes. But Which, then... <laughs> hilariously, I mean, she's been blind for almost her entire life. Yeah. And they put these corneal implants on her. And, like, they unwrap her eyes in a very bright fluorescent yeah. room. Like, I feel like you want to gradually do that, not just, like, boom, yeah. sight. Yeah. So she eventually, you know, she kind of gets the doctors to understand that no she's actually seeing stuff especially a hot doctor played by anuj sani yeah he's samir pretty hot doctor and she and anuj sani uh travel to india uh to find out about the woman whose corneas uh she received it's a really great hospital where you get to date your uh, eye doctor (laughs) and there she discovers that the woman's whose eye the woman whose eyes she received uh was cursed (laughs) yeah cast out of her village cast out of her village and uh kind of saw a horrible occurrence that she you know tried to uh that she tried to warn everyone about, but no one would listen to her. And it is her spirit who takes hold of Nana. And she's the she's the baby who was being born at the beginning during yeah. this sort of mystical transference between the two of yeah. them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this was... It was fine. Fine. Yeah. You know, it was just like, I think it's 
its biggest crime is that honestly it's kind of boring. Yeah, I I would say that I got a few problems with this movie, but the main premise you know, it would work great as a TV show. And it I would, would. Say, I would say that the uh, like a like a like a ghost whisperer kind of ghost thing. whisperer. We were we were throwing around some names. Yeah. I mean that's the Jennifer Love Hewitt one. But I was thinking Dark Messenger, <laughs> where Nana would like see someone about to die each week and then try and figure it out while also getting closer to the reason why all these deaths are happening. Something like that. Yeah. But this movie is so yeah, where she becomes like an investigator. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it basically the Dead Zone. That, yeah. That was a TV show. Yeah. Uh, but like. This movie is based on the idea of sight, right? Mm-hmm. And like I said earlier, you don't get a lot of her being blind. So there's no domestic normalcy that is really being, you know, hurt by the horror intruding in her world. Because mm-hmm. that's one of the things about horror movies is that you're getting a little bit of transference yourself as you wonder, well, what would it be like to live like this? Right. So the film doesn't really ever have normalcy to be intruded upon by horror Mm. and at that point it's basically fantasy like it's hard for you to really empathize with a person who you've only ever seen freaking out about everything right like you've seen nana get the glass in her eyes Mm -hmm. as this transference thing is happening and then she's blind very momentarily and then she's got these new corneas in and she's seeing ghosts right away like you don't ever get a chance to feel safe and then feel threatened it's just always yep there's another thing yeah and the they... movie's based on like jump scares and sort of psych gags and stuff mm-hmm. and because obviously she's seeing all this stuff but there's there's some more interesting stuff you could do with the idea of sight i think yeah and i d- i think you're right in that they don't do enough to establish these characters and kind of make you care about them. What was Nina's job? Because that's kind of like... Well, like, what did she do? No idea. No idea. She lived with her grandma. She had, like, a servant. But, like, I don't know what her life is like, so why do I care when Mm -hmm. it gets intruded on? Mm -hmm. But there is, like, that's why the first kind of arc of a good horror movie really just sets up kind of, you know, who your characters are. So you kind of care about them when stuff starts to go down? Well, like... Think about Halloween. It starts off with a POV shot of young Michael Myers, you know, seeing his sister having sex. He kills her. Yeah. We see this horror on this you know, eight-year-old's face. And then for the next half an hour or so, we just kind of see what it's like in Haddonfield. Yeah, we just kind of we hang he- out with Laurie Stroud. Yeah, we hear, like, reports of, oh, like, something's yeah. going on at the mental institution. Donald Pleasant shows up. But we don't see Michael Myers, like, killing people right away. Yeah. He is kind of, like, he drives around. He kind of walks around. He creepily intrudes on what's happening, but he's not immediately in your face. Yeah, I wouldn't say this is either immediately in your face. It's just kind of what it builds up in the first act is is not overly interesting. And it has this, uh, it puts in this character, this young girl uh, who's in the hospital with Nana. Right. She's who, got brain tumor or something. Something. Annie. She's terminal, clearly. Yeah. Uh, and she's got a terrible bald cap on. And she's annoying, and I think she's supposed to be kind of the um, the emotional tragedy that, that draws you into this because Nina eventually sees kind of like a a, a like death ghost take her away. And this is also done in twenty minutes. <sighs> yeah, and it's just like it's just it's such a throwaway of of a subplot, but I think it's supposed to like really kind of drive the film emotionally, and instead it's just kind of awkward. Yeah, it's. Like, 
we don't have time to like this person, right? Yeah. We don't even know who she is. It's just Nana freaks out all the time. Well, and and again, this 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 Annie character, it's just like, well, you're supposed to care about her because she's she's a kid who has a terminal disease. Yes, and that's it's, just it's, cheap. It that's is just cheap. cheap. It is a cheap shot. It is like it's obviously very sad. Yeah. But you know, you kind of got to give us a little bit more. I will say that once they go to India and start learning about uh, the eye doc, the eye mm-hmm. donor, yeah, uh, her life is actually pretty interesting. Yes, that's a much more interesting story. Yeah, I wish the whole movie took place there because yeah. you know. You get some village politics. You get the idea that uh, being born stillborn means that she's a uh, God's child. Yeah. Like he, like God actually intervened to make her live. And you get, I mean, you get, you get tension there, and you get stakes, and you get gravitas, and you get sacri- Like there's there's big emotions happening in in that part of the story um, that feel deserved, that feel earned. That's mm-hmm. the strongest part of this whole film. And and kind of the horror of of knowing that something terrible is going to happen to all of these people that you love, but they won't listen to you because yeah. you know they they've condemned you. Yeah, they think you're cursed. Yeah, that's and, much more interesting. And Nana and they try only and has Nana, like a couple people in her life. Yeah, and they try and put Nana in kind of the same position uh, in, in the climax of the film, but it doesn't it doesn't have the same kind of gravitas that it does well she's not warning a bunch of people that she knows yeah it's just a bunch of random people mm-hmm. so you don't get that sort of that pity as everyone knows who she is and they think they know what she's about mm-hmm. so uh and i will say that some of the effects were kind of cool but a lot of the other ones were very cheesy yeah uh there was a scene especially where nana is sitting in a taxi and the uh, very clearly a JVC CD player in the in, in the taxi starts kind of like pulsing, mm. and it's just sort of like you took the the tool in uh, Photoshop to like grow things out. They just kept doing that over and over again, and yeah, real cheesy. But they did some neat stuff with sort of using a uh, um, a Dutch angle and kind of like moving the camera at the same time. Yeah, that was kind of cool. But uh, on the whole. I don't know. If it had started halfway through, and then maybe like, a, this would be more the TV show style. But if it had started halfway through with her trying to figure out what's this mystery, and then having flashbacks to what happened to her, that would be more interesting. This is the film, of these three films, this is the one that next year when we're discussing... We're going to forget we watched it. <laughs> yeah, we're going to forget that we watched it. We're going to forget what it was about, because it just it doesn't make an impression. Like, it's, it's, not, it's not egregiously bad... It's not dull the way Boot was. It's not scary. It's I not mean, sc- Boot, I literally fell asleep doing, <laughs> I think, twice. And that's apparently supposed to be a good, scary film. Yeah. It's just, honestly, it's just really unmemorable, which uh, I think is a big problem for a horror film. When you're literally talking about, like, one of the most visceral, visceral experiences you could possibly have, having your eyes taken from you and then yeah. operated on. And you know I hate eye stuff. I know, I but hate eye stuff. there was barely any. Like you couldn't even get that sort of squick factor. Yeah. There's, you know, there's some burned up people and the actually fairly bloody childbirth scene. So you get a little bit there, but for a horror movie I was not horrified. And I definitely wasn't scared. But it's not even necessarily about gore. I mean, gore can certainly... It's visceral, add, right? Yeah, and, and it can add to, to, to a horror film. And, and, and Carpenter being kind of the best example. And, and probably my favorite director in terms of how he uses gore. 
Mm. Uh, yeah. I mean, Romero's good too. But um, you have to build suspense, and that's what Carpenter does. Is he, mm-hmm. he, you know, he has that kind of, he understands, you know, kind of how Hitchcock built suspense. I mean, just look at the thing, one of the greatest horror movies of all time. So he knows how to build uh, that suspense and then combines that with, with some really graphic, really visceral imagery. Yeah. And, and there's no suspense in this movie. Like, within well, the first the five minutes, that's the problem. we already know everything that's going to happen. You don't need gore. I mean... Psycho barely has any gore, but it's yeah. terrifying. It's you need to be able to kind of build suspense. Suspense builds empathy as and, you and the character on display. Both of you don't know what's happening. Yeah, and I just and and that's what this film really really lacks. Um, like even like we're not in the business of making movies different. No, but there's a few things that you could do with just the idea of seeing stuff, mm-hmm. like having. Creepy things in the background moving. Nana may not even see them. Yeah. But we see them and we get creeped out. Yeah. Or like playing with focus or maybe doing like um, trying to replicate actual visual problems that people have. You could have sort of like a strobe like light effect or yeah. anything. Just Or someone seeing trails like in uh, Mandy, for instance, uh, the Nicolas Cage movie this year. Mm-hmm. There's a scene where she's dosed up with drugs. And she's seeing these crazy trails, and we're like completely stunned by this because it's super freaky, and it's a completely visual effect. Yeah, they don't make as much use as kind of POV shots as I think, as I feel like you think you would. Like there certainly are a number of them, but they just they don't have they don't have any impact. They don't mm-hmm. have any flair. I never I never really felt like we understood what it was like to look through Nana's eyes. And I think that's that's what you need to do. You that's need literally to... the point of the movie. Yeah. That's literally the point of the movie. Yeah. So... And think about it like uh, there is a few scenes where she's disturbed by the fact that uh, um, Malavika's uh, character is her reflection because think about this. She's never actually seen her own face. Well, not since she was younger. But how disturbing is that, actually? Because that's something that everyone with sight takes for granted. Mm-hmm. And imagine her, you know, her shock and horror to see this face that she sees in the mirror actually isn't her own. Mm-hmm. It plays with that a little bit, but you could have done a lot more with that. Yeah, and and that's and I think that's really what our issue is here. Is it's just it's kind of wasted potential. Like it it has the bones. I haven't seen the eye by the Paying Brothers. So I don't, I don't know if it deals with some of the stuff with a lot more style or just kind of. I think you said that the villages in Singapore in that one, or uh, Thailand, or Thailand or Indonesia. I don't remember. Yeah, but they they it also makes sense it would be in Singapore if it's a. Hong but Kong they also Singapore like leave home. their. They also leave uh, the more metropolitan place mm-hmm. and go back to a village, which mm-hmm. that makes sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, kind of a missed opportunity. Yeah, I mean, it's like I said, it's fine. I wouldn't. I wouldn't recommend it. Uh, we watched it on Hotstar. So, yeah. do you want to see it? If you've already got Hotstar. There it is. Yeah. So, I think we are going to take a break here, Matt. And what are we playing for Interval? So, we're going to be checking out a sample from uh, Bichua from 1920. So, listen up. Bichua, Zed Jagaya Bichua, Bora Tadapaya Bichua, 
long-time uh, Biffle heads will know that uh, ATB is one of our biggest sponsors. Uh, but they have started a brand new podcast called We Are Alberta that I'd like to talk to you about for a minute. So what's a financial institution doing producing a podcast? Well, it's simple. With over 300 branches and agencies located throughout Alberta, ATB is uniquely positioned to shine a light on the treasure trove of untold stories in the farthest corners of our province, that being Alberta. Every month, join host and ATB economist Nick Ford as he explores Alberta's geography, its businesses, organizations, and its diverse and fascinating people, all viewed through an economic lens. In the second episode of We Are Alberta, the shape of Alberta's energy sector is changing, and so are its workers. Listen to an interview with Ian Wilson, the Edmonton Chapter Director for Iron and Earth, a company led by oil sands workers committed to incorporating more renewable energy projects into the industry. For more info on We Are Alberta, check out atb.com slash learn slash podcast or find it anywhere pods are cast. One of the best and frankly most horrific films to hit theaters this year wasn't a horror movie at all, but a biographical comedy drama about a black cop in 1970s Colorado who infiltrated the Ku Klux Klan. I'm talking about, of course, Spike Lee's Black Klansman. If you haven't seen it yet, do yourself a favor and catch it as soon as possible. And once you've done that, listen to the latest episode of the Empton Community Foundation's Well Endowed podcast, where they speak to Daryl Davis, an accomplished musician and author of Clandestine Relationships. That's clan with a K. In his pursuit to discover how anyone could hate him without knowing him, Daryl built relationships with clan members. Some of those members, who have come to know Daryl, have since changed their worldview and left the clan. On the episode, Daryl tells us about his experience and what friendship means to him. You can find the Edmonton Community Foundation's Well Endowed Podcast at thewellendowedpodcast.com. So that was Bitua from 1920. Moving on to 1920 and more of our kind of classically styled exorcism slash possession films. Yeah, this is a scary old house with stuff happening. Yeah. Yeah, can't go more classic than that. Uh, it's directed by Vikram Bhatt. came out on September 12th, 2008. It features Rajneesh Dagal, Ara Sharma, Anjori Alag, and Rajendrath Zuti. Dagal is a former model and Sharma is a gymnast. This was both both of their debuts in this film. It was filmed in Allerton Castle, North Yorkshire in England, uh, which is apparently haunted in real life. And also it was definitely not in India. Yeah. Are we, we're supposed to believe the movie is set in India. Yeah, because <laughs> it, it calls back to, I think it's the 1857 Rebellion. It's so clearly not in India. Yeah. This, this film borrows a lot of its uh, special, like its special effects and its scenes uh, from The Exorcist, The Exorcism of Emily Rose, Stigmata, and One Missed Call. I don't know One Missed Call. Uh, I know, the, I know the poster for it. Uh, we just looked this up. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's definitely not telephone stuff. But uh, it's interesting that, you know, you pick the best exorcism movie and then a bunch of late 90s, early 2000s horror stuff. Maybe someone gets a chair thrown at them in one missed call. Who knows? I don't know. Um, I mean, I know exactly what's coming from from Stigmata. And I've seen The Exorcism of Beverly Rose. It's okay. Uh, Sharma received a uh, film for nomination for Best Female Debut. 
Um, but since then, she's mostly done uh, South Indian films, uh, with the exception of Commando 2. Yeah, the, the Black Money Trail. <laughs> Wonderful film. Uh, there was a She's co- apparently going to be in Commando 3. Oh, great. As the same character. There was a coffee table book that came out before the movie? Yeah, I, I found that while researching, and uh, Vikram Bhatt, uh apparently thought it would be a good idea to just kind of you know prime the pump and get a coffee table book out there to get people ready, which okay. is admittedly a wonderful idea. Uh, it received mixed critical reviews, but made um, you know 110 million rupee. Uh, pretty good. Yeah. Uh, and there's been quite a few sequels that have followed... I've seen 1920 London. Yeah. Uh, which I really enjoyed. I really liked that one. I would was say. Was it 1920 a particularly big year for ghosts? I don't know. But they, they, there's 1921 after that, too. Yeah. That's another one. Yeah. yeah, which I haven't seen. I've only seen 1920 London, which I remember having some really good twists. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't really remember entirely what all the twists Ooh, were. What's a twist? <laughs> but I remember I remember the twists being good. Erin, you're not and you're not looking at my best note that I found here. Oh what? Rajneesh Dagal was also <laughs> in Creature 3D as himself. Okay, I don't remember that. I don't remember that either because I didn't know who he was. <laughs> but like Was he staying at the Airbnb? Uh, he's apparently I guess in a, it's not an Airbnb. Was he staying at the B and B? He's apparently in a song. <laughs> and I'm guessing maybe they pulled in other people from horror movies. We'd have to go back to uh, Creature 3D and maybe maybe since we've seen more, we can remember. I mean, it doesn't sound like he shared a scene with the creature, so I wasn't interested. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That was <laughs> the big problem with that movie. Uh, I will say uh, 1920 London, I think, kind of looks more impressive. It, it, I think it has more money. Um, but I, I still I still really enjoyed 1920. 1920 uh, has a really interesting, like, candlelight aesthetic, which yeah. totally makes sense for the period. It does, yeah. Yeah, it looks good. Do you want to Do you want to set us up with the plot? Sure. So, uh, 1920 uh, features this spooky old house that's been bought by a rich guy who wants to make it into a hotel. Yeah. Immediately, I'm thinking Ramsey Brothers Hotel, <laughs> where it wasn't a spooky old house. But it was a Christian graveyard that they built a yeah. hotel on top of. And and this, I, all three of these films have um, very kind of Christian ideas at the center. Of it them. comes with exorcism, I think. Or at least the popular perception of. Yeah, yeah. Or if in, you're li- deliberately copying other movies, <laughs> if it comes up there, it's probably going to come up here. Yeah, because in uh, Nana, she's Christian. Or at um, least goes to a Christian church after her friend dies. And yeah. She seems like she's praying, so. Yeah. In here in 1920, uh, she's Christian, and there's a priest, and, you know, again, they're using a lot of um, the Christian symbolism that we see in horror movies. And then in The House Next Door, which we will get to. Lots of uh, lots of religious symbolism. Yes, there's lots of religious symbolism, and the, the family in The House Next Door are also Christian. Yeah. Um, but... You know, if you're going up against, uh, you know, Bible-style demons, that's generally what you're going for. Mm-hmm. And if you're kind of cribbing from uh, Hollywood movies on the topic, it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's interesting for me that that there's still a Christian element in Nana because they're they're remaking an Asian horror film. Oh, maybe it was there, too. I mean, she's in London, so, yeah. um, you know, pretty popular there. Mm-hmm. And obviously, there are Christians in India. Yes. <laughs> 
Um, but anyway, there's this spooky old house that someone wants to turn into a grand hotel. Mm-hmm. And he, uh, the owner in the preamble to the film has hired this new architect who kind of shows us around the place as he comes in. Uh, but in the night, he hears a spooky moaning upstairs. Uh, and through an elaborate series of events, he's killed by house shenanigans. Mm-hmm. Um, flash forward to uh, Dagal and Sharma who are a maybe a Romeo and Juliet style couple. There's definitely a lot of tension with his family as mm-hmm. uh, she has some uh, English in her blood, as they say. Mm-hmm. And her uh, his father is definitely opposed to the marriage. And they actually try and kill her in a really unorthodox way by tying her to what appears to be like a Model T Ford. You know, it's the 1920s. Old-timey car. And then setting the car on fire. <laughs> That was weird. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, Dugal, um fights off his whole family and uh, escapes with her and kind of essentially burns his bridges with his uh, mm-hmm. uh, his father and his brothers and his uncle to be with her. They so, really take time to develop this, this romance between these two. So when you finally kind of get to the possession and, and you get to the horror, I think you really care about these people. And the romance in the modern day, aka 1920, is reflected by a romance in the uh, middle of the last century. Mm-hmm. As we find out that the house's uh, previous owner um, was a, well, it was a guy, it was an, a, a nobleman who was fighting in the uh, rebellion against the English. Mm-hmm. And his house was uh, occupied by his wife, a young girl who's kind of a servant from the village, and uh, the wife's kind of caretaker person. So it's three women mm-hmm. by themselves. And this uh, soldier shows up who has um, left the battlefield and is injured. Yeah, you said this was a real, like, beguiled situation. I think that, yeah, you could make an interesting movie out of the the period, well, the older part of the story. Mm -hmm. Because um, this guy, he's kind of bad news, but there is a quasi-romance between him and the lady of the house. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe not the most consensual, but there's there's a a link between that and then the current period. Mm -hmm. So... We do while we get the backstory of what happens. It actually is reflected by an interesting current day story. Yeah, um, I I like this movie quite a bit. Yeah, and we and so we should say she becomes possessed by the ghost of the house, the, a demon. Yeah, and um, at first you're kind of you know not she's not sure if you know she's losing her mind. Or if this stuff is actually happening. She's also hearing the spooky uh, noises. And her husband does a little bit. He's often going away for work and stuff. It's another one of those situations where a woman in trouble is not being listened to. She turns to the priest who... Rajendra Thazuchi. Kind of helps her. Yeah. I don't know if she's particularly religious, but if any port in a storm, right? If there's a ghost (laughs) or a demon in your house and there's a church next door... You know, it makes sense to at least check on it. I mean, she seems to be. She she goes to the church and, you know, she seems to find solace and, and, a, and a connection there. Something we should say, though, is that her husband is very religious. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's introduced uh, doing a ritual for Hanuman. Yes. And uh, sort of uh, 
gathering blessings and giving them to all the people in his father's house. Mm -hmm. And this comes up later. It does. And and that's one of the things that I really like about this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So so it is eventually revealed that she is possessed. And, and, and when she gets possessed, that's where we start to get all of the crazy um, special effects around possession and exorcism. She and walks up the walls. She flies. She has the creepy... She's tied to her bed. <laughs> creepy demon voice. All sorts of good stuff. Oh, and yeah. this is where her gymnast skills would come into play because mm-hmm. uh, she performs very admirably in these mm-hmm. scenes. And and it's all very, very impressive, but it's also like, I mean, I don't know, an homage to, you know, some of these other horror films we've mentioned where they took the scenes from or it's plagiarized. I don't know. It doesn't bug me. This goes into something we talked about before where people will bemoan the fact that, say, what is it, Train to Busan is getting a remake. Mm. And it's like... Uh, stupid North Americans, they won't watch a movie with subtitles. They don't want to appreciate something from outside of their comfort zone. I mean, if you're an Indian person watching 1920, you may not have seen The Exorcist. Mm-hmm. And what is a direct uh, callback to impossible plagiarism from, you know, it might just be fresh and new to you. Mm-hmm. And is that the worst thing in the world when at 2005 it might have been pretty difficult to get a copy of The Exorcist in India? I could see that one having some censorship issues, actually, come to think of it. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. But they do, here more than any of the other films, they do play up the kind of pure woman being brought down. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, not quite kind of, you know, the stuff that Linda Blair says or the stuff we see Linda Blair do, um, but hints at, you know, at this demon defiling this body and mm-hmm. and 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 using kind of um her sexuality like you know yeah she's flouncing around in a lot of white shifts which in your if you're in a castle like running away in one of those that's classic good stuff yeah yeah i you know i did i did really really like this i, I thought it was i mean it's a little bit too long but overall i thought it you was you could say that about so many indie films <laughs> yeah. Overall, I thought it was well-paced. I thought it was engaging. I, I think the majority of the effects are really impressive. Mm-hmm. Uh, the one notable exception is when the priest uh, kind of sees a snake in the mirror. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, it wasn't great. That doesn't work. I, I would also say the CGI at the end isn't great, but it's also, yeah. you know, that's a big demon thing. Like... You don't see it for too long. I, I think they use the CGI quite sparingly and a lot of really good practical effects for the rest of it. That's what I was going to say. Is actually, there's a lot of really impressive practical effects that are used in, 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 in the right ways. I was elbowing you like, oh, look, she's kind of floating now or she's like walking up a wall. That's cool. I was yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. It, you know, like this, when it gets to, to the possession, this movie really lets loose and has a lot of fun. Yeah. You know, did I find it scary? I don't know, but I really enjoyed myself. Yeah, I find things like eraser head scary. <laughs> so the closest to that we've probably seen is I don't know. I think it's hard or uh, no smoking. Maybe yeah, it's that sort of surrealist thing that kind of bothers me. I think it's hard to review horror films on kind of a how scary factor mm-hmm. because what scares people is. Really, really personal. Yes. If this, if the movie was all about cockroaches, I would be very scared because that's the thing I hate the most. 
Yeah. You don't like eye stuff, but Nana had a lot of eye stuff, and it didn't bother you. Didn't bug me at all. I don't like teeth stuff. Because it wasn't done effectively. So, you know, like, this, I think overall, this is effective, it is well-made, um, and it's engaging. Your mileage may vary on how scared you get. Exactly. Your mileage yeah. may vary on how scared you get. Like, a lot of people being possessed by a demon would be like the absolute worst thing that could possibly happen. Yeah. Whereas like movies that I find terrifying, like The Descent or The Conjuring, I've seen many other people say, oh, that wasn't scary at all. Or, yeah. You know, oh, and, The Descent's horrifying because I'm also kind yeah. of claustrophobic too. And I, yeah, awful. And I think sometimes people Great movie, but, yeah. dismiss horror movies if they don't personally scare them and i just i don't look at it that way mm-hmm. um because it's like a comedy did you literally laugh then it didn't work yeah yeah and yeah and it's just like some people scare easily some people are harder to scare i think i'm a bit harder to scare just because of all of the movies i watch and my yeah. co- constant awareness of just kind of everything being fake yeah <laughs> I found Climax pretty scary last night, the new Gaspar Noah. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't want to go to that party, that's for sure. But Anyways, can we talk about the end? Sure. Uh, so one of the things that I found really interesting about this film is that, you know, it, it kind of, it, it has all these building blocks of the kind of classic Catholic idea of um, the devil and, and demons and possession and, 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 you know, kind of performing an exorcism. But it's... It's the husband's belief in Hanuman. He saves the day. Yeah. That saves her. And I really, I don't know, I just, I really liked that, um, you know, that that's, I think, one of the things that makes this film inherently Indian, even though it's kind of cribbing from uh, Western horror. And shot in England. <laughs> and shot in England. But I, you know, I, I thought that was a re- refreshing take where it's just like, oh no, you know, this this religion will not save you. Well, it's kind of nice to know that uh, demons are a little bit agnostic and that as long as you are just pure of heart and absolutely resolute in your faith, you can stop them. doesn't necessarily need to be, you know, a specific one, but someone who has that uh, fortitude inside them can fend off a demon. I really like how it... But that triumph of Hinduism over Catholicism just, I don't know, I liked it. I also enjoyed uh, the tie-in to Indian history, too. Mm -hmm. I think that's Mm -hmm. super smart... Yeah. It takes a movie that, you know, again, kind of cribs from some Hollywood stuff and then completely grounds it in uh, Indian history. So, yeah. fantastic. Yeah, so I think overall we we recommend 1920. And, yeah, it's great. And would like to see more in the series. Yeah, I would definitely check out uh, Evil Returns, London, and uh, yeah. 1921. Yeah. yeah. Like, I'm not, again, I'm not raving about it, but I had fun. You know what I'm go- am going to rave about, though? What? I'm going to rave about The House Next Door. The House Next Door, all right. I thought this movie was amazing, actually. So, Matt, this is not a Bollywood movie. Yes. Let's get that out there. <laughs> we know this is not a Bollywood movie. This is a South Indian film made by South Indian people in the South Indian style. Yes. It's a it's a Tamil film that was shot simultaneously in Hindi and Telugu. Uh, in Tamil, it is called Aval. In Hindi, it is called The House Next Door. And in Telugu, it is called Guram. Uh, no, so this happens um, pretty frequently with big South Indian yeah. films. Bahubali um, was done this Bahubali way. Bahubali right? was yeah. done this way. It was shot simultaneously in Telugu and Tamil. Uh, Vishwarupam, too, um, which has, again, multiple titles, or like two different titles, was 
shot in Hindi and Tamil. Uh, I think 2.0 is being shot simultaneously in different uh, languages. Very excited for 2.0. Yeah, so... Uh, it's, it's a very smart thing to do. You just triple the amount of people who can see your movie. It must be difficult, and you need actors who can act in three different languages, so that's got to be tough. I've done some side-by-side comparisons of other Indian films that that have been shot in multiple languages. And and I don't want this to be a blanket statement for all Indian films that are shot in multiple languages because, again, I've only done some side-by-side comparisons of a couple. But what I noticed was the all the dialogue scenes were clearly different shots, mm. um, but all of the action scenes were the same across the films. So That's where the money goes. Yeah. So this is... Like, the Hindi version of this... I would argue is a different film than the Tamil one, than the Telugu one. Yeah. But this film does not come from the Bollywood film industry. It does not come from the Bollywood tradition. Uh, We are so sorry. But I just wanted to see this movie. I had heard it was really good. Yeah. And then I just thought, I'm going to sneak it in. Yeah. We've talked about things that weren't done by the Hindi industry before. And, you know, we have had some listeners ask us to cover more South Indian cinema. Uh, So while I don't think this will necessarily be um, a stream that we pick up, uh, you know, kind of every episode moving forward, uh, here, you know, we are dabbling. But that being said, we did watch the Hindi version. But we heard this was cool. and You heard this was cool. Yeah, I'd heard that this was cool. I'd read a few reviews and I thought... Okay, this this plays into the possession theme. Yeah. And I just wanted to see it. <laughs> yeah. So, and I let you pick the movies and it was only afterwards that I was like, "Hey, wait a second. This isn't a Bollywood movie, Matt." And you were like, "Mhm." <laughs> I think this is one of the rare occasions when I picked the movies and it turned out okay though. Okay. All right. Yeah. But uh The House Next Door is uh directed by Milind Rao. And again, shot simultaneously in three languages. Released last year, 3rd November. It features Siddharth, Andrea Jeremiah, Anisha Angelina Victor, and Atul Kulkarni, who uh, I think was in Rais. He's a a good... There's Mm -hmm. a lot of good names in this. Like, Mm -hmm. good kind of character actors you've seen in a lot of stuff. And I saw Andrea Jeremiah in the aforementioned Vishwarupam. Vishwarupam 2? There you go. Uh, but the director, oddly enough, was a former assistant to Mani Ratnam. Mm. He's made one other movie, which is called Kadal to Kalyanam. Mm-hmm. But this movie took like four years to make, mm. and it remains unreleased. Oh. There was a trailer that came out in 2013. The movie was written by the noted uh, critic Abharadwaj Rangan, mm-hmm. but it never actually came out. So, Do you know what it's about? Uh, it's about a radio station. So my guess is there may be some music clearance problems. But uh, my furtive digging into this is pretty... There's not a lot out there about I don't really it. think music clearance would stop a movie in yeah. India. But it, it's it's weird. Like, this guy who... I guess I don't know for sure, though. This guy who has, you know, he's got the Manny Rotnam chops, worked mm-hmm. with him, has not directed a horror movie, as far as I could tell, mm-hmm. has directed a movie about a radio station, and then goes on to do, like, a really good horror movie. Mm-hmm. So... That was interesting. And the movie also features some very obvious references, mm-hmm. but appreciated, to uh, the Friday the 13th, uh, The Exorcist, and uh, Silent Hill, the funniest one. Yeah, it was really obvious to me places where it was pull- pulling from The Exorcist, partly because we watched it right after 1920 and sat there doing kind of like 
Um, that's like just like counting the Exorcist references, and then some of the exact same ones show up in the house next door. And also, Anisha Angelina Victor's character is literally reading the book The Exorcist. Yes. So uh, that's that's pretty fun. Um, yeah. But uh, the story takes place uh, in northern India, close to the uh, Himalayas. Mm-hmm. And Siddharth and Andrea Jeremiah are a sexy young couple. Mm-hmm. He's a brain surgeon. I don't know what her job is. I guess she stays at home. <laughs> He's a brain surgeon at? At Silent Hill Hospital. <laughs> okay, which is a hospital are... that I would not want to go to. Is that, a, is that a reference to Silent Hill, the video game series? I've never played Silent Hill. I didn't see the movie either. Uh, is Naomi Watts in that? I think she was. Hmm. Uh, there are definitely a lot of weird nurse creatures who are um, right. kind of slaves like- to Pyramid Head, who is like the main antagonist monster of the of the games. Okay. So yeah, it's there's some pretty trippy nurse stuff. But could could there legitimately be like a hospital named Silent Hill Hospital that is not a well, Silent Hill? Vi- no, game? probably not. No. Okay. Like Silent Hill is the name of the town in the video game. I don't think there's a place called Silent Hill. All right. Outside of it. Well, we will fact check this after the fact, and if uh, this yeah, is named after a real okay. place, there might be a real place called Silent Hill. Don't quote me though. <laughs> uh, but anyway, um, Siddharth is a brain surgeon. Um, his wife is just hot and stays home. Uh, I think she's an incredibly attractive actress. I think she has a job. I don't think she job? does. <laughs> she like sits on her porch and waits for him to come home and gets mad at him. Because uh, Siddharth is becoming increasingly aware of and interested in the family that has moved next door, Mm -hmm. Uh, which is an older man, his second wife, and their two daughters. And his, his and his dad. His oldest daughter yeah. uh, from his previous marriage and then his, his younger daughter from his new marriage. Yeah. So, uh, But Jenny's the important one. She's yes. the teenage daughter from the first marriage who, um, funnily enough, you know, we were talking about how in 1920 and, and in Nana to a certain extent, the person who gets possessed is a very uh, blameless person. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jenny, you know, likes to smoke. She likes to drink. She's hitting on Siddharth. Like... She's a normal person. She's not some sort of avatar of absolute femininity. No, she's like a like a teen teen rebel who has a bit of like a like kind of like a punk or gothic aesthetic, I guess. Yeah, she's got like she's a, a bit ne- gothy. She's got a neon cross in her room. She's got all kinds of band posters. Well, there's um, a, no, there's like a neon cross just in the hallway yeah, of the house, but she the, has some crosses in her room. The decor of this house is a little <laughs> weird. But uh, there's also a really funny scene where she goes out to like this cliff and she's like, "Yeah, I like to come out here and smoke sometimes." Oh, okay, just stop it, Dad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she's she's she's, she's a classic, fun character, like teen rebel. She's yeah, fun. and she's very into the incredibly attractive Siddharth. <laughs> you you were just attracted to everyone in this movie. This movie worked for me on a lot of levels. Okay, um, but one night at a dinner party. Uh, Jenny, for some reason, kind of just flips out and jumps in the well. Mm-hmm. And Siddharth has to jump in there after her and get her out. But um, there's some weird shit going on. Mm-hmm. And I guess we forgot to mention, but there is a, a a prelude to the story where that same house was uh, owned by some Chinese people in the 30s. Yeah. And we see a mother and a daughter and something having to do with the well. It's a little unclear at that point, but they go into it later. Yeah, it's kind of shown in, like, sketchy flashbacks. I guess because there's a well, it kind of reminded me of the ring. <laughs> yeah. I think it would be better if they didn't do that. Like, 
you could learn revealed you could learn that mystery later on yeah yeah. uh but uh jenny starts acting weird and again people don't believe her uh sidharth recommends another doctor at silent hill hospital Mm -hmm. who's a uh, psychiatrist and he starts interviewing her and he thinks she's making it up she he actually goes to her room after uh her dad tricks her into leaving and he looks at all the stuff on the walls he looks at all the books he checks her internet history and says yeah she's faking she just wants attention Mm-hmm. Which that's where, a great scene. Too. It is a great scene. I like that scene. It it is definitely kind of like lampshading a lot of stuff. Like here's all the stuff in the room that you might not have noticed, and here's a bunch of other ideas. By this point, we're fairly on board with the um, there's an occult problem here. Yeah, but it it does show the way that institutions would probably at first think. Yeah, she's mm-hmm. she's just pretending. But I don't really want to say more stuff from that there's some good twists in this movie and what appears to be happening is a bit more um a bit more complicated than what you see at first yeah there's kind of like a a big made mid-act twist that we're not going to spoil and i don't think it's a spoiler it's a pretty new movie twist yeah um but it goes it goes to some really compelling places and you know the the past starts to mirror the present let's just say uh, Something that all three of these movies shared. There is a yeah. a transference between uh, the sins of the past and the present. Yes, yes, and and this one actually has um, a real smorgasbord of religions because not only do we have the Christian family, uh, Siddharth, Pentecostal, I think it's yeah, it was a very specific religion. Siddharth and his wife are Hindu. But also, there's a, a maid that practices voodoo. Yeah, some kind of voodoo, maybe Santeria or something. And I then, don't know. And then the Chinese people in the past. There's also a, a different uh, thing happening different there. Different religion there. And uh, and there's also kind of a... Oh, what is this? Is he like a witch doctor character? Oh, that guy. Yeah, the fa- the, ha- the family hires uh, what the subtitles refer to as a nomad. Yeah, who I, is, appears to be like a mystic for hire. Or, he yeah, is cool. maybe, maybe like a shaman. Which yeah. doctor's not quite right. Um, he, he draws these voodoo. sand paintings. He's a medium, actually. Yeah, uh, yeah. A medium, thank you. I don't he, know he draws these sand paintings and he, he lets the, uh, um, the spirits go into him and kind yeah. of uh, draw stuff. I also appreciated this guy, Chang, who I don't know where he comes from, but his requirement is that he speaks Chinese. So the ghosts, <laughs> demons, whatever they are, don't want to say... They're talking in Chinese that they need to go to this guy and be like, what did they say? <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on in yeah. this that uh, I, I really enjoyed. It's really impressively shot. It looks really good. I think that the special effects are really cool. Yeah, there's some uh, really good ones. The creature effects, cool. Uh, I also appreciated that the way that the Chinese ghosts look is how they would look in a Chinese movie. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, that's true. Like that kind of balding and not... Not like a ghost, like Nana's ghost, where there's sort of like shadows. Yeah. And not like a a CGI demon thing, like in 1920, or kind of more environmental stuff. Like, these look like straight up Chinese movie ghosts. There's a lot of cool stuff in this movie, though. I thought... I, okay, there was one thing I was a little bit disappointed in, because I thought at first from the trailers and stuff that it was going to be uh, Siddharth and Andrew Jeremiah, like, as a husband and wife... Um, you know, demon busting team. I, I, just, I just really liked that idea. You thought it was going to be like South Indian The Conjuring? Yeah, yeah. exactly. I thought there was going to be a bit more of that, but she does kind of get sidelined for a big chunk of the movie. Yeah, and that's what I found really interesting. It's actually like, you know, 
we we come into this film, you know, first this, there's this kind of prologue about what happened in the 1930s, and then we kind of come into this film following Siddhartha and Andre Jeremiah, and then... Their courtship. Yeah, we see their whole courtship in a song. Um, really didn't need that, but whatever. Uh, and nice. then, you know, you see them tossing around a bed, and then they're just kind of dropped in favor of following this family. And while it eventually circles back to them... It never. They never really become the center of the movie ever again. Again, I don't want to say, but uh, I would say that there are more sexual situations in this movie than you're going to get in your average Hindi film. That's true. And this does play into the story. Like again, like it does circle back to them, but I still feel like no. Jenny the... and her family are like the main focus. And exactly. There's Siddharth really Lucas. doesn't actually do a lot. No. Yeah. Um, so. It, it subverts expectations in quite a few ways. Yeah, and that's and that's what I really liked. And and to be perfectly honest, I think the family is far more interesting. There's an interesting than, dynamic there, yeah. Than what's going on with this, the husband and wife. And I mean, what, it's 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 important the story, but and what did this movie do? It sets up uh, Siddharth and Andrew Jeremiah. We learn about their life. We actually care about them. Then we this family shows up and we yeah. meet them and they seem nice. And then weird stuff starts happening to them. And Siddharth and Andrew Jeremiah are our gateways into seeing what's happening there. That's true, yeah. So we do have normalcy being intruded upon rather than, boom, horror right away. Yeah. Right? And I think this film deals with kind of some of those issues that I was talking about at the, at the top of the show about the possession genre and um, the way that it focuses on young women's bodies. Mm-hmm. Um, because, like, the Jenny's possession comes very quick and... And and to the point where I was looking at the runtime and I was like, okay, there's going to be more to this mm-hmm. um, because, you know, we had just seen 1920, which climaxes with her exorcism, essentially. Uh, this is, it's like, it's done by the intermission. Yeah, this is like the midpoint of the film. And so I I appreciate the way in which this film turns those some of those expectations on its head and kind of, you know, again, it's like, yeah, it's it, it's a difficult film to talk about without spoiling, but um, I think it's sad. I think it goes to some very satisfying places and it does so with style. Yeah. And there's some icky creature effects, uh, some weird limb popping yeah. and stuff like that. Always appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, you do. You always appreciate limb popping. Well, no, that like that's what happens in a good demon possession movie. Yeah, is that the person who's possessed, the thing inside of them twists their body into something you can't understand. Yeah, and, and that's why it's scary because I have a body, <laughs> and it's like, well, what if that happened to me? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the whole like Cronenberg thing, right? Yeah, there's body horror. Yes, uh, and so like. This is probably the most effective of the three films that we watched. I'd say this is probably the most effective Indian horror movie, note, didn't mm-hmm. say Hindi, that we've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. And and what I find interesting about, about this film is that it's so, it's clearly rooted in, you know, kind of these, these genre tropes that we've been discussing, but it... It moves them forward, and I, I and I think it, it pushes them in new directions. It, it plays with them in different ways, and I think that's the thing that 1920 kind of lacks. Yeah, 1920 is a straight up, you know, spooky house with a. Ghost. It's kind of a yeah, yeah. It's it's very much like a straight up kind of take on The Exorcist. This clearly is playing homage in in many places to The it Exorcist. Literally shows The Exorcist <laughs> book being read. 
But it it then kind of goes off in different directions in really satisfying ways. So yeah, man, really don't want to give anything away. If you are looking for a spooky movie to watch this uh, Halloween, I definitely recommend this. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you got a little bit more time, you can get Ghoul in there. Yeah. So um, we mentioned at the top of the show uh, the other. Uh, horror films that we've discussed in episodes like this, but actually some of the best Bollywood horror movies that we've seen have been for other episodes. Yeah. So earlier this year, we discussed the um, the, the films produced by Anushka Sharma, her production company, Clean Slate, and two of those are easily in the horror genre. Yeah. Hari, Not a Fairy Tale, which is very much a horror film. Yeah, and if you like this movie, Hari would be up your alley, too. I think so. Yeah. And uh, NH10, which Poss- is... I, it's a thriller. Yeah. I mean, but, I, I remember mentioning on that episode, like, it's not too far off from your Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It's your, your Hills Have Eyes, your last house on the left. People like a good revenge, you know, thriller. Yeah, yeah. It's it's very good. We've also discussed uh, Phobia with Radhika Apte and also Ghoul. We did yeah. it. Um, and uh, Trapped with and uh, Trapped. Rajkumar Rao, which um, talk about a movie that would play on something that scares me specifically. <laughs> yeah. He has to try and uh, debate eating a bug and also being stuck in his apartment building, yeah. which well, maybe a bit more mundane than uh, having a demon in you. Is definitely scary. Mm-hmm. Uh, recently, Stree came into theaters too with uh, Rajkumar Rao, uh, which I've seen. Unfortunately, you haven't seen it yet, Matt. Uh, but it is—it's more of a horror comedy mm-hmm. than kind of a straight-up scary horror. Uh, but I'm really excited to show it to you because it's—it—it's it's really interesting, and I think uh, is is really really good. Some of my favorite movies are horror comedies, so. Yeah. Really? Like what? Shaun of the Dead. Oh, okay, fair. Yeah. Great movie. Yeah, fair. Gremlins. Yeah, okay, yeah, good point. Yeah, there's a lot of great horror comedy, but... Maybe that'll be... Well, no, because we already did Go, 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 A Gone. <laughs> so maybe and there's a sequel to that coming out, year. too, which I, I did find Go, Go, A Gone. Uh, but yeah, if you're looking to pop on something, uh, House on House Next Door is on Netflix, streaming right now. Yeah, and that's also where we saw 1920, right? Uh, yeah. yeah, both of them are on there. So check it out. Hey, get yourself uh, and ghouls on there as well. Have a have a good spooky evening. Take book a whole day off and just you know soak in some spooks. <laughs> All right, Matt. So that brings us to the end of this episode. We will be back in two weeks, where we'll be just discussing... assuming we don't get murdered by <laughs> demons. Uh, or, you know, I don't become possessed. <laughs> or, yeah, if if we're not back in two weeks, please assume that Aaron has been possessed by a demon in our house and I've had, like, a credenza or something thrown at me. Do you know what's useful? We are the only people to ever live in this apartment. Yeah, no but, ghosts. But no ghosts in this house. I don't know what it's built on. <laughs> uh, well, it was it's built next to a train track, next to a bunch of bars, so... Uh, yeah, you know, dollars to donuts. Someone's been run over by a train after drinking too much. Yeah. Uh, but this room has not <laughs> had anyone die in it, to the best of my knowledge. So if there's a demon, it's coming from outside. Keep an eye on our Twitter accounts to see if uh, a no. demon has possessed Aaron. Uh, I'm at Matt underscore B-O-W. And if you want to keep up with me uh, learning about religion and stuff to try and get the demon out of Aaron, you can find me there. And if... Uh, she's talking in all caps, and it sounds like a demon is talking at Aaron E. Fraser. Uh, you'll know that something's up. Okay, all right. 
Uh, so when we return... No, that was good shit. <laughs> I like that. Okay. I'm keeping that. That's funny. <laughs> so provided I don't get possessed by a demon and we do continue this podcast, uh, we will be back in two weeks with an episode on Ayushman Karana. Yeah. Uh, he's been having a great year and just in general a great run of movies. So we are going to discuss some of his films. In the meantime, Matt, how can people keep up with the show? Well, as mentioned before, our Twitter accounts are at Matt underscore B-O-W-E-S, and you are at Aaron E. Fraser, currently not a demon. <laughs> uh, you can also follow the show, also not per- currently populated by demons, at Bollywood Pod. Uh, the you- Tumblr, not demon run either for the moment, is bollywoodisforlovers.tumblr.com, and our demon-free Facebook page is found at facebook.com slash Bollywood is for lovers. Yeah, oh, that's true. Uh, you, can, you can leave your five-star No Demon reviews at Apple Podcasts. Really appreciate that. Or wherever you like to rate your podcast, Demon Free. While you're over at Apple Podcasts, you can also subscribe to uh, my other show that I do weekly with Paul Matt, which check. Uh, Trash Art and the Demons. <laughs> Trash Art and... The movies. Oh, okay. Yeah, we are. We're doing also a, a bit of a horror episode and discussing uh, Hitchcock's Shadow of a Doubt and The Stepfather, the 1980s slasher film. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what could be scarier than The Stepfather? I would like to um, thank the devil for this episode. <laughs> right, yeah. That might be what we're using for the cover image. I'll check. Um, <laughs> the. Uh, the, the house next door, we forgot to mention, is uh, is dedicated to the devil. No, no. It thanks both God and the devil. Oh, okay. Thanks both God and the devil. Yeah. Uh, all right. That's all we got. Yeah. Uh, we'll tune in next uh, two weeks from now for another demon-free episode <laughs> of Bollywood is for Lovers. Thank you very much for listening.